With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of Drive Through HR, the Internet's longest-running HR radio talk show. I am your host, Crystal Miller-Lay, and I am joined today with Lisa. Lisa, say hello. Oh, no. Okay. Lisa, can you hear me? Well, this is fun. I'm... I'm on. I know she's on, but we can't hear Lisa. Lisa online. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about um, Drive Through HR. So Drive Through HR is really formed on one simple premise, um, which is that we ask our guests, "What's keeping you up at night?" Um, that's it. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, this is not going to be one for the record books. Um, let's see as far as the intro goes. Um, all right, Lisa, why don't you drop and call back so that we can see if maybe it's a connection issue? Um, but while she's doing that, we've been on the the air since 2010. It started with William Tincup and Brian Wimpen, and then Nisha joined, then I joined, then Michael joined, and Dwayne came in and out as a guest host, then Robin joined and Dwayne joined. So that's really your four co-hosts, it's the four of us. We talk about often really irreverent things, um, sometimes esoteric things, but all of it's aimed at one simple thing, which is making work better. Let's see if Lisa can join us and talk about what's keeping her up at night. Okay, Lisa, can we hear you? I think I'm unmuted now. Excellent. That is fantastic. I'm so glad that you can join us. So, Lisa, I, I just did like kind of the show intro, but how about you give us an intro and tell us who you are and what's keeping you up at night? Well, I am a recruiter's recruiter. So I, I am a self-employed recruiter that, that finds talented people for, for my clients. And, and I also, I think I spend more time than I should thinking about the nature of work and the nature of sort of power and identity relationships within work and how we need to uh, do a better job of keeping the human centered uh, so that our business life and our work lives can be more humane. That's a strange intro, isn't it? Oh, you know what? It's 
not the strangest that we've had here on the drivers. So, <laughs> well, that's good would, to know. Yay. Yeah. I would feel good about that. Um, no, I think that makes sense, actually. I mean, so you recruit people who recruit other people. So your whole job is really centered around the meta version of putting people to work. Well, actually, I don't recruit recruiters. I'm, I'm, I, what I meant was I'm like the archetype recruiter. I, something about being a self-employed recruiter, I think, gives us a lot more latitude to think about the nature of recruiting. So I, I usually recruit technical people or operate, operations and marketing people. Uh, but honestly, I think of business as sort of a, a way to it's – like, it's like therapy. We work out our issues on each other. That's what business does to accomplish goals, right, to make money. So it's kind of weird, but that's what I was getting at. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's very fair. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way before, but that is a very, um, a very fair statement, positioning statement. So what's keeping you up at night? It sounds like the world of work, but what specifically would you like to chat about today? Well, you know, we're in a time of rupture. Uh, we just all lived through this pandemic that's been going on for over a year and is not over yet. And we're learning about kind of the cracks in the foundation of the way that we organize our world, the world of work and the, the world of, you know, society. And I, I think about the, the fragileness that's been exposed, um, you know, things like our supply chain, things like uh, the way we hire. Uh, I think this, this period of time has given us a lot of opportunity to, to try to do things better. And, and I see that sort of the conversations about work and about society and business, they're all sort of cut out of the same cloth right now as we wrestle with how to get along with difference and how to, to make the systems we've built more just, uh, more effective. And a lot of that is, is, I think, succinctly listening to voices that we haven't had the opportunity to listen to before as we construct these systems that should serve us all better. That's also an interesting positioning. So when you say voices that we haven't had the opportunity to listen to before, the, the cynic in me wants to go like, yeah, there's, there's nobody in your company you couldn't have listened to before. Maybe people you chose not to listen to before or didn't think to. But that's the cynic in me. So when you say that, what do you mean? Well, I think that's, that's fair. I mean, I think sometimes uh, we, we choose not to listen to people. Uh, because we, we think their perspective isn't important or it isn't important enough. But, but also, we, we don't even know what we don't know. It's kind of like a, an anecdotal story in software engineering where there's a team of people and they're, they're building a, a soap dispenser that's automated. You know, we have those now. They're pretty ubiquitous. But the first, uh, the first profile that they built uh, didn't recognize darker colored skin. It wouldn't activate. And that's just because they didn't have anyone on their team that wasn't white. And, you know, it wasn't like they meant to do that, but they just didn't think about it. And that's right. often how 
voices are, you know, we, we make choices, but they're not conscious choices. We just may not hear them. And we may not realize how important delivery drivers are to our well-being until we go through a global pandemic where that's the only way we could get our stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, oh, maybe they shouldn't have to pee in bottles. Uh-huh. An interesting aside, right? Yeah. But, but you're right. The cynic in you is correct because effectively we choose to not listen to people with less power. Uh, in, in, you know, but it isn't, it isn't always a conscious choice. We don't know what we don't know. And so it's not about shame or guilt. It's just about no. gathering more, of, more information so we can make better choices that serve everyone, mutual thriving. Yeah, sure. That makes sense to me. Um, you know, I think, so I, I, um, just finished up an HR module on my MBA, right? Which is always the best time to talk to somebody about a topic, right? Is right after they've learned stuff about it in school. <laughs> sure. There really was some interesting conversation. Like what I hear you describing to me is really focused around, in, from my perspective, humanistic management, right? And so when you look at the principles around humanistic management, it really emphasizing potential and to be able to emphasize potential you first have to understand what that potential is and to be able to do that you have to interact with your employees right it's a shift from looking at employees as um, commoditized assets and more around people that have the potential to to improve the overall value of your business like to some extent people are assets right but they're it doesn't have to be property assets right? Like, so we have the ability right. to make it a humanistic experience. So that's what I hear you describing, but, but I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, that's, that's a part of it. But I think um, I, I go a little farther in that I, if we put the, the human back in, in the way we're thinking about business and management, also we have to, you can't, it's easy to glibly say people are people and we should manage them as people. But there's no teeth to that if you don't do a power analysis. So, okay. you know, power and identity, like if you understand, and, and I think it's pretty hard to deny that we've just sort of uh, structured the world in, in history as we know it, sort of positioning straight white men as dominant in the power paradigm. That's just the way it happened. Uh, and we're making some headway in uncovering other ways of ordering where, like, it doesn't matter what, what flavor of identity you have. You, you should be – you should have a voice and maybe even a vote. Uh, but that's uncomfortable. There's – it, it, it is, we're wrestling with opening up the lens of our society and the lens of our workplace to prioritize all people, not just this smaller category of white dudes, which are perfectly lovely humans. I love many of them, but they don't have to be prioritized anymore. And that's the power analysis that is, it really does make folks uncomfortable sometimes as we see in our current event discussions. And 
And it doesn't have to, though. We, you know, everyone can matter, not just some is really the message. That's fair. I don't know if I made any sense. No, 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 you did. You did. Um, but, but we, you know, we too often, we don't do that. We just say, oh, people matter. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to care about people. And then you look at, you know, who heads up Fortune 500 companies. I don't see a whole lot of people. I see a lot of dudes. And there's nothing <laughs> wrong with dudes, but we, we really have to wrestle with this dynamic, and it is a power imbalance. And, and that, that is the time that we're in. It's sort of the message of the moment, I think. Yeah, it is interesting to me. So when you look at inclusion, if, if all of your CEOs, it's a weird thing, right? Because you don't choose CEOs in a group, you choose them by individual organizations. But um, there's, there's groups that you can look at, conglomerate companies that are connected, where it's like all of their CEOs are, you know, um, older white guys. And and I'm not to say that those people are brilliant. They may be exactly the right people for the job, but it is then difficult to discuss your commitment to inclusivity when when your leadership is all middle to older white guys. Correct. Because and what I what I'd love to <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it's yeah, that's right. Well and and you know, I I think I mentioned to you in, in a chat that I talk a lot with Tom Peters, who is a you know older white guy, leadership coach and uh, author, well-known author, and his his recent book is is about humanizing the workplace. And I love to hear him uh, talk about women in leadership, and he actually talks quite a lot about race as well now, which is is great to see. It it. It, it isn't like can't value voices of, of folks that are more dominant in the power structure, uh, but we have to make space for folks that maybe don't have the platforms or, or haven't had the opportunity to be centered. So institutionally, all of these you know, companies and institutions and governments and groups have to make space for other voices. They have to seek them out. And if you're someone who sits in a dominant power default seat, then the onus is on you to go hear those disparate voices that you haven't maybe had the opportunity to hear. Yeah. This makes people uncomfortable, though. It does. Well, sure. You don't really want to acknowledge that we've built sort of an unjust society. Well, and that's a really interesting thing to me because it's not like, I don't know about you, but I don't ever look at an organization and say, it is your fault that you have promoted decades and generations of middle-aged white men to elderly white men to run your company. Like, our entire world has been set like that for Yeah. I mean, fault is really uninteresting to me, honestly. Yeah. That's yeah. the least of my focus. Blame it, 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 is a loser game. Well, yeah, like to me, there, it's not that there's not a place for fault or blame, but but looking at someone and where they're at today and saying it's your fault that centuries of the world has been set up in a way that propels you to be able to advance, like 
that's not cool. Like, it's not that one individual dude's fault. But yeah. but what comes, where fault to me becomes a point of discussion is if you can look at the world right now and the conversations that we're having right now and then look at your workforce that is probably primarily white in middle to upper management, probably primarily men in middle to upper management, probably primarily 40 to 70-year-old dudes um, in your management group and say, we're good. Like, that's where, to me, personally, blame conversations start becoming relevant, fault conversations start becoming relevant, because what you do today shapes your future 10 years from now. So what today do we want to leave for the next decade? the next two, three, four, five decades, because if you don't want it to be a, you know, a big old basket of middle-aged white men, you got to start making some changes. And if you do, that's fine, I guess. Just understand that you're not then attracting an inclusive environment. You're not going to attract diverse thought, diverse workers. This is going to be a checkbox program for you. And if you're cool with that, then I guess okay, but ugh, gross. I'm I'm not real cool with it. Uh, no, but but to to your point, systemic issues, system system building problems, we can't hang on individuals, uh, but we can hold individuals accountable for the choices they make and the actions they take and the things they say in our presence. That's but I'm I'm not I'm. I'm less interested in blame than I am accountability because that that's a changing of behavior or consequences for problematic uh, things that people do and say. And what's interesting is when you're having a conversation with someone and you say to them, Hey, maybe there's a better way to say this thing or do this thing, or maybe you should, consider making this other choice and there's a space that's opened in that moment and a choice that gets made. And if, if I say to somebody, man, that really, that cuts deep. That hurts me when you use that kind of language to talk about women or when you're, you're doing this inappropriate thing and they choose to double down, then that's a choice that's theirs that they need to own. And, and, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing. I mean, you see this, we're, we're wrestling with what that looks like right now. And it's messy as we as a society, individually and collectively, try to figure out what's appropriate, what drives uh, a, a society where more people can thrive than just a few. And it is, you know, it's awkward and, and kind of ugly sometimes, but we're figuring out that we all are human beings worthy of respect. And that kind of, it gives me optimism, but it's also really exhausting because you'd think that some of this stuff would have been decided already, but it feels like we're in the middle of a, like a tantrum of, of, uh, of, a, you know, toddlers being mad that they're not getting their way. Yeah. And it, it's almost like a throwback. Like we're just, we're, we're, we're as a society very inflamed about things I thought we had already decided, like all people matter. 
that's sad, honestly. You know, it, it is difficult um, for sure. So for anyone just joining us, you are, you walked into drive through HR. Uh, we spend half an hour to an hour talking about um, really the world of work and various different aspects of people in HR. And today we have the, um, the privilege of talking with Lisa about redesigning work, really. Because that's, I think, Lisa, when you talk about what I hear you saying in terms of I'm more interested in the accountability, I 100% agree with you. I'm going to go back to to be accountable for something, you first have to own it. And you don't have to own the history of it. You just have to own where it is today. Like, this is where we are. Is it equitable? Like, to me, that's the first question. Do we have an equitable work environment? If you care about creating a environment, if you care about truly attracting diverse people and it's not a check-the-box initiative for you, you have to start with where, you know, is it equitable? And, and almost every workplace, I can say, like, there will be pieces of your work, your organization that are equitable, but there's going to be pieces that aren't because we're just not perfect. And so I think, sure. you know, when you go through that, like, from your perspective, when you look at attracting people to organizations and you're recruiting people into your client's organizations, um, I guess my question for you would be, like, are there areas that are are more pressing than others? Do you feel like they're the same by organization, or do you think that it's varied? Oh, it varies. Um, well, in in tech, in 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 software development and hardware development and product development, that seems to be where I spend a lot of my time. It's it's most of who I place are are you know, white men, that's, I, I, mostly who I sit with in, in boardrooms when I go to meet with clients are, it's, there's just not as many women. And that's been something that I've, I've worked on. It's not really as much a pipeline problem, a hundred percent, as it is the way we structure our interviews to hire people that look and think like us. Like that's just what we do. We and and so to try to do that differently, to try to see uh, folks that may come from a, a radically different walk of life or background, and that they can ramp up in particular skills. I mean, that's the goal. That and some organizations are right there doing that, and some really resist it. And you know, over the last. I mean, I've been a recruiter for, gosh, 30 years, uh, something like that. I've lost count, and I try not to pay attention to the years now. Uh, <laughs> but I've realized that hiring's kind of a, is kind of a rigged game, and yeah. we think we know how to hire people. You know, I'm a, I'm good at interviewing people, say, and I'm thinking none of us are. We're really not. We it is mostly just a bunch of. Uh, you know, like we fool ourselves into hiring certain people. We haven't cracked the nut of how to make sure people are going to be successful in jobs we hire them for. A lot of times it's just sort of a comfy blankie that we put on to, to when we interview folks just to sort of uh, tell ourselves that we checked all the necessary boxes, but we hired someone that seems remarkably similar to us. And that yeah. was a lot. And, and it's, it's interesting to try to change that 
and question, you know, I mean, if you hire someone today in six months, they're probably going to be using a different tool set than what they started with because that's how fast the world works. So why did you rule out all the people that needed to learn a tool set? It's a good question, I think. It is. It's it's fascinating. I, you know, there's so many different dynamics that come into play that make it complicated. But at the same time, it feels like it shouldn't be that complicated. And we need to look at more tools that help us eliminate bias. We need to look at getting into classrooms before um, girls and and minorities and people are, are making decisions around their careers. Right, like, because I do think that in 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 all genders, in all people, um, when we're young, there's still a bias around what what people should grow up to be. Right, right. And, and, and and also when we look at a resume today, we should question our assumptions mm-hmm. that tell us they're not a fit. Like, I, I when I train recruiters, I tell them, ask yourself why you think they're a fit and ask yourself why you think they're not a fit. And then ask yourself to go even deeper on the not. Like you can't, I I mean, anyone that's done any recruiting knows that, you know, you may have 300 resumes and you have to know why you're ruling people out uh, and you can't talk to all of them. But you can sort of create a practice of going deeper and questioning our own assumptions as we rule people out and make that sort of a muscle that we leverage a lot because it is pretty shocking. We, we make decisions because of stories we tell ourselves, and we do not hip check most of the time. We do not give ourselves a hip check. And I, I find recruiters have a lot of power because we're the often the early gatekeeper. And so mm-hmm. part of what I like to do as a, as a self-employed person is really shake stuff up, and I will, I will have an argument for a reason that I'm presenting a resume that probably 90% of people wouldn't, would not present, but I will have an argument for why, and, and it'll make sense, and it'll be based on, you know, what the customer is looking for. And, and if I can do that with software, which is such a highly, you know, software engineers, highly specialized knowledge base, then you know that all these other positions, we could be doing that too. Yeah, for sure. There's I don't no know if I made sense. No, no, it does make sense. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm reminded of a story that, I'm reminded of the story of an experience that I had, so like a quick story. Um, I, it was a few years back. I had just really um, gotten into like diversity branding and what that looks like and what it doesn't look like. And it doesn't, by the way, include the word diversity, includes the word inclusion. But I was talking with a, um, a recruiter for a client at the time, and she was really proud. And by the way, like, of intentions. I, said, I don't fault her for any of this, but she was really proud in talking about how, like, she looks at women and minorities first, and she wants to put it together an entire minority slate before she ever looks at white men. And I was like, you understand that's, that's also problematic, right? So, like, it's just a different kind of problematic. So, 
you know, it's good that you want to elevate um, people that historically do not had, and maybe even still in your company do not have an, an equal presence, right? But but you also still need to understand why you're putting people forward. And if you're putting people forward on the basis of sex and or race, like that's still problematic, right? So we should really be aiming for eliminating bias. Uh, and this is my opinion. You may choose to disagree. But we should be looking at putting the people forward that need to be put forward because they're qualified first. And then we can start to look at some of these other factors. And, like, when we went through, and I guess the point of that was, like, when we went through, like, the slates that she was putting forward, like, there were people that were not qualified for these roles. So she was, they would stretch, stretch at that. Right. And so, like, that, I think, hurts us, hurts us as well. So. Sure. You and your, like, it, in the nineties uh, that we have, how would you approach that? Well, I mean, first I would, obviously the work has to get done the work, whatever, whatever specialized uh, particulars for a, a role, right, uh, that has to get covered. Um, in a way, if, 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 you, if you can't wrap your mind around the fact that, uh, like, minority or female or, or gay candidates can't be qualified, then you've got a problem. Right, like that's a mental oh, block. Yeah. No, 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 no. I no, think they. No, no, let me finish. No, I, no, 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 no. I mean, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. But it is what we're talking about if we only—that's all we see about a candidate, right? That's all we see. That removes their capacity to be effective in a role. Um, I agree. But, so I'm- I'm going to press pause here. This is such an awkward place to pause, but we're going to run out of time. Can you come back and talk with me again next Tuesday? Sure. Okay. Then let's pick this up here because I think there's more to say. Fair? Okay, cool. Right on. Then for everybody else, next week we're going to talk to Lisa. Tomorrow you're going to talk with Robin, and Friday you're going to have a host show. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Talk to you soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.